Hi everyone, it's Georgie here. I'm going to take a little bit of a different spin on the podcast and instead of having one of the many amazing experts who are focused on women's health as a guest, I'm going to give you some of the takeaways about women's health in recent time. And I'm inspired to do this because I just attended a Femtech Consumer Health Summit. And essentially there were a lot of founders there and venture capitalists who invest in these women's health uh, oriented startups talking about some of the challenges and trends that are coming about. So I just wanted to share some of those thoughts. First, what I wanted to start with though is what is the state of women's health and where are we today? And then I'll end on talking about some of the cool things that are happening with the different conditions that women specifically face and what I'm seeing some of these companies um, starting to build and how they've evolved over over time. But I first wanted to lay this foundation because a lot of the people that listen to the podcast are here because either they're um, helping women as practitioners deal with some of the conditions they've had, or it tends to be women who are genuinely struggling to get answers. And because of the types of experts I bring on, I try to bring a lot of that hard to find information to the forefront, but there are still challenges. And so I thought it would be helpful to do a quick summary of some of these challenges so you have some context that we can again dive into some of these trends that are happening in women's health. And by the way, a lot of these things were summarized at the conference, so we know these are still issues. So number one is where is the research in women's health? Let's remember that it was only in 1993 that the US FDA ruled that women must partake in clinical trials but we still lag in effectively and consistently assessing the differences between cis male and uh, cis female, and much less looking at other population differences. Now, I will say this, I am a consultant. I've worked in the healthcare industry my whole career, and I actually helped with assessing what would happen if we powered clinical trials for all of these diverse populations. And it is definitely a challenge because if we looked at all of the diversity, it would take forever to run a clinical trial, but people are working on how to um, get data such that all the different populations that exist, we would be able to understand how different medications would work for them. Nonetheless, cis male, cis female, it should be easy enough. And it really just means um, being thoughtful and inventive in how we're running these clinical trials and assessing the data to really call out that information. And for those of you that don't know the Ambien story, there were a lot of women who were driving at night, getting into car accidents and whatnot. And after they assessed the research, they found out that the dosage for women should actually be different from men. So just to, to shed light on why, why that research is so critical. But according to McKinsey, while women make up 50% of the population, about 1% of healthcare research and innovation is invested in female-specific conditions beyond oncology. So there's some data to show you we still have a ways to go. Another interesting thing that's happening is just really shedding light on how sexual health is so misunderstood. So Ilaria Fazio, who is building a product called Majoa, and it's going to launch in Italy and she'll eventually bring it to the US. She said that pleasure is at the core of who we are. It's not something you can overlook. And if you don't explore and find yourself and your sexuality, psychologically, it impacts you. And I just wanted to start that as a foundation because it seems as though the women who are working so hard to educate us about pleasure and our sexual health, there's still this very old fashioned view 
of what sexual health is, maybe equating it even to pornography. And I recently had interviewed Jackie Rotman for the Center for Intimacy Justice, and she was on the podcast last season, so feel free to check out that episode. And she's been working with a lot of these companies to increase education around the importance of sexual health, but making sure that ads are not being blocked, because a lot of these companies who are trying to provide legitimate education are getting their ads blocked, which limits awareness of women being able to get this necessary information. Amy Divarania of UVA, she was also a guest, um, I think it was in season two, uh, she said, you know, certain terms are just geared towards sex. So for example, UVA has tried to focus on data and has to circle around the words that they're sharing, even though they have very data-driven information they're trying to share. So she was saying how ovulation is noted as a sex term, so she can't really use ovulation when she is talking about her product, but she can use the word cycle, but at the same time, um, there are ads for erectile dysfunction. So that's another issue these companies are facing and trying to help educate all of you. Uh, Maria DeSantis of Muse, she states that half the time I upload an ad, it gets rejected. It's most fun on Amazon because there's 20 variations for every ad. At least with Meta, some decent guidelines are there, but definitely not on Amazon. It's, if you leave the Amazon site and Google a product, sometimes it'll take you to their Amazon shop, and then that's how you can find the product. So if there's something you're legitimately looking for, search on Google and then get to Amazon. I don't know why that works, but it works. Then Afsan of Kendra, she said, and I love this one. She said that on for hymns, there's an ad that says, get hard like you used to. And she wants to see an ad that says, get wet like you used to. And she doesn't wanna always have to say vulva instead of vagina just to get an ad passed because it's not the right term. And again, you know, so many have talked about we women are not educated about our own bodies. And, and you know, anytime people give women a visual of what their um, anatomy looks like, most of us can't even pick out the different elements of it. And now because of the way these ads are forcing people to advertise to you, they're having to use incorrect anatomical terms, further making this an issue. The other thing that's happening is that a lot of discussions are, are happening in this space for people who are trying to provide you great products to support any of your journey is about the finances. So a lot of these founders are female and there still needs to be more money raised and, and there are challenges with it. However, the good news is the trend is going up. According to PitchBook, it shows that the femtech share of healthcare tech funding has been growing. So. Last year, it was 13.26%, which is up from 8.75 in 2021 and 7.6% in 2020. So it is going up. However, people are still saying that they're having to spend so much time educating venture capitalists on what a condition is that they can't even get into the pitch of what the product does. Because if they can't win them over in the beginning, the pitch kind of ends. So that's still a struggle. And Priyanka, who is a co-founder for Evie, and she's working on an at-home vaginal microbiome test, 
She says that what's interesting is for the investments that are coming in, 65% of it is going towards fertility, but she makes a really important point, which is we are more than our ability to reproduce. So for those of us who are struggling with various conditions like endometriosis, PCOS, etc., please understand that these are the challenges that are being faced in trying to get this great innovation in your hands. By the way, Priyanka also pointed out that if you put your money in women's health research, you are likely to hit the golden nugget just by trying. Again, we are decision makers in a household in most cases, and we do make up 50% of the population. I, I hope that this kind of background helps set the stage for why you may be missing information or getting you know, frustrations with dealing with your doctor, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of background here that people are constantly battling and working, working so hard to get this information to you. The thing is though, what I find interesting, so I really started focusing in women's health. So I had a four year fertility journey that started in 2010. I was fortunate enough to finally have a son who's now almost eight. And then I started working on potentially you know, building a product. It was originally focused on fertility and now I expanded into women's health. And so that was around 2019. And what's so interesting is it was all about fertility. Then it became pregnancy. And then people started knowing, noticing that we really need to follow the woman across the life cycle because none of us are going to download 100 apps on our phone that we're going to constantly be keeping up with. And so having us women on one app, so to speak, going across our life cycle is where the trend started going. And now the wave that has hit is menopause. What's important to understand here is this is great, but also a challenge because the menopause market is valued at about $30 billion and 50% of the population will experience this phase of life and they tend to have higher incomes and have greater financial stability. So from a financial perspective, this is a huge and ideal business target. But now what's happening is because of that, and now everyone's catching on that women's health is the thing. So on the one hand, it's women trying to build great products, having a hard time investing, but oh, by the way, people understanding, oh, by the way, these women need these products. We're now getting products that we may not need. And the question is, how do you know what to trust? And this is a hard answer because because of the lack of research funding, which I started this conversation about, then how do we truly assess what is effective and how do you know who to trust? Because let's hope that everyone has the best of intentions. We also know these are businesses and unfortunately healthcare is capitalistic as we all see with our insurance providers and you name it, it's, it's quite a challenge. And so the question is, how do you trust? And so what I would say and what I've seen with all the guests that I've interviewed on FemPower Health, you know, there really is great data out there. And I think it's up to us to ask the right questions and understanding like, why is a, a clinician choosing to do something for us? And if something is over the counter, it's looking at what are the promises. And if if any products are trying to be the end all be all, and if they're seeming to state that 
if you use this product, you're going to have this miracle thing happen for you, then that is certainly questionable. There's nothing that is a quick fix and we still need more data. The other trend that's happening now or the question that I have and I'm monitoring this is what is going to be the role of the employer? So again, we're kind of in this state where these these at-home tests, there's a lot of apps that are being developed and there's a lot of telehealth happening. And for each of those, I see some challenges. So one with the apps, yes, I did say earlier, a lot of these companies understand we have to look at the woman through her entire life cycle so she's not constantly switching apps and you're losing that customer and then it takes a lot of money to advertise to you so that you have awareness to then download yet another app. The challenge though is how many apps will people actually use, but also with these apps, the amount of information you put in is what makes the app effective. So if you're not entering all of your data, the data that comes back out to you is only as good as it can be. The other is with telehealth, you know, there is a shortage of doctors. They're predicting that for 2030. It's definitely a lot with primary care, OBGYNs as well. So then what does that mean um, for telehealth companies? Because if there are less doctors, I am still struggling with how the numbers are going to work out with there being enough doctors, even if we do telehealth. And this is why a lot of these app companies are saying that they believe data is really going to help create a lot of optimization. But what's interesting, when I talk to clinicians, they're concerned because they do feel there's this strong need for personalization. So I'll definitely be monitoring over the next uh, decade what is going to be happening with this balance of apps, the data that they have, how much they help women and their practitioners, and then how all of this impacts the potential shortage of clinicians we're going to have to help women, and then what's going to happen to funding uh, with research, um, with funding these uh, women's health companies who are trying to help us so desperately. The other trend that's been happening is the role of the employer, and this is a really interesting one. So. I've spoken to a few friends in human resources and I've spoken to them about how I've noticed that these a lot of these apps are offering being offered as an employee benefit and it makes sense for fertility because it does impact everyone, right? It it can impact the the cis male, the cis female, it can impact couples who are having to use surrogates, the LGBTQ community, etc. So because of that, that makes sense. But when I spoke to them about things like period pain, there's been a lot of news around what work employers should do for women who are genuinely struggling or for those who have very strong uh, menopause symptoms. That can be a challenge as well. And what's interesting is they, they understand that it is a challenge, but because it doesn't impact everyone, it is very hard to make an argument for that. Now, some of the founders of these femtech companies have said, well, for example, menopause is going to impact the whole family. I'd also argue period pain would too. And so that's how they're trying to talk to the employers about it. But the larger employers that I've spoken to seem to be struggling with that. Um, So it'll be really interesting to see where that nets out. So it's definitely something to watch. My whole, I, I kind of made an argument to them and said, look, 
up until now, it's been all about the men anyways, and we women do have certain things that are unique about us, so why isn't it our turn? And I don't think uh, we need overly special accommodations, and I don't. I hope that we wouldn't take advantage of the system. So it'll be interesting to see, again, um, where that nets out. I don't think there are perfect answers yet. It's just um, different things that I've heard about and that we're talking about. The other thing I wanted to point out is, as historically, we as women have been known to be competitive with each other, combative with each other, not necessarily collaborative. What is so cool is all of these conferences that I go to for these femtech communities, the collaboration is amazing. And there was a great quote that was shared at the recent femtech summit, and I apologize, I didn't write down who stated it. But it said, we're all spending a lot of money on marketing our businesses. And instead of marketing and working together, we're doing it alone. We can, could be contributing to each other a lot more for the greater good. And so there is really a desire for collaboration. Um, but again, you know, to build great startups, you have to focus very specifically. So on the one hand, you focus to make something great. But on the other hand, that focus has an impact because of the way women's health is viewed by all the factors that I have discussed earlier. So as far as interesting trends, what's been great to see is, as I mentioned earlier, fertility was all the rage. Um, it's still a lot of the funding that's happening because unfortunately or fortunately, there's a lot of money to be made in that space because um, for those of us who want kids, we will do just about anything to have them. I can attest to that. And then COVID, you saw a lot of telehealth. Again, we're expanding into pregnancy. Uh, and now definitely the wave is menopause. But what's also been great is seeing things around the pelvic floor. So there have been, earlier on, there were some um, at-home pelvic floor devices to strengthen your pelvic floor. And a lot of the experts, though, they do say, don't just buy them. You still need to get evaluated by a pelvic floor physical therapist because um, you may not need strengthening and you may have a tight pelvic floor. So you always want to make sure you know what's going on for you before you use those devices. And I interviewed Dr. Allison Shrikande, who goes through all of the different devices and gives advice about that. So feel free to listen to that episode. And we're also seeing for pelvic health companies that are working on doing some at-home support. And so they recognize that some things do need to be done in a face-to-face -face setting, but they're also working on giving you tools for doing some of these exercises or other things um, to strengthen um, and optimize your pelvic floor at home. So there's a lot of that at-home trend. So remember, there was the at-home testing of hormones, um, but now it's you know at-home tools to support your overall health. Vaginal microbiome, I'm so excited things are being done about this. You know, when I started this podcast, all we were talking about is not douching and just keeping your, your vaginal area healthy, but now there's so much more research in the vaginal microbiome, and I had the opportunity to interview Beth Dupriest, Dr. Beth Dupriest, from Vaginal Biome Science, and she made such a smart uh, point, which is now that we have been investigating this so much, we now realize how little we truly understand. So again, just so many interesting things that are happening in women's health. And I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear as the consumer of this or as a healthcare practitioner who is working with women, I'd love to see some of the things you're seeing or not seeing because I've reached menopause and my friends are um, perimenopausal or have reached menopause as well. And 
not a single one of them knows about any of these femtech companies. So I find that very interesting. And so I guess I would just love to know, what do you think? Was this helpful? Do you want me to talk about this more? Um, would you like me to start reviewing some of these femtech companies specifically? Are you finding these new apps helpful? What's frustrating? Just let me know. I really, really want to hear from you because this has to be a conversation. It shouldn't just be the femtech founders and our, us podcasters all talking to each other. I think it's really important for all of us to get into the conversation. I hope this was helpful and thank you so much for listening and I look forward to hearing from you. Just send me a note at info at fempower-health.com. And that wraps up another empowering session here at the FemPower Health Podcast. Now, before you dash off, I've got a quick, exciting invitation for you. Please join our vibrant community by subscribing to our weekly newsletter, because it's really your frontline update on groundbreaking women's health research, the latest health-enhancing products, fun quizzes to boost your health IQ, and unique discoveries that you won't want to miss. All of this delivered straight to your inbox, cutting through the noise of social media algorithms. Love today's insights? Show your support by rating and reviewing our podcast. Your feedback is more than just a pat on our backs here at FemPower Health. It lights the way for others seeking guidance and community in their health journey, amplifying the voices that need to be heard. And for a deeper dive into today's topics, check out the show notes and explore our website at fempower-health.com. Our site is a treasure trove of knowledge, neatly categorized by topics of interest and life stages ensuring you find exactly what you need to empower your health journey. And your voice matters to us deeply. Whether you have a question, a story to share, or feedback on our episodes, reach out directly at info at fempower-health.com, drop us a message on social media, or hit reply on any newsletter. Your insights inspire our conversations. And a quick note, the knowledge we share is here to embolden you in discussions with your healthcare provider. It's not medical advice. Always consult with your doctor for health decisions. And remember, the diverse perspectives of our guests reflect their individual journeys, and it's not an endorsement by FemPower Health. Here's to empowering your health journey one episode at a time, and I'll see you on the next FemPower Health podcast episode.